going to be continuing this series on the examples of love, and I'm, I think this is a really good message for following up last week, because last week we talked about marriage, family, we talked about the epitome of love in that household and how the church is made up of the family structure. That you, you, you're, everything is in connection with that. That every time Paul talks about church or uh, Christ talks about believers, it's, it's in the confines of this family structure. That the church is built of family and that both are built within, with Christ being within them. And, and, and those all come together. Well, this morning we're looking at the title is, is Friends and Enemies, but we're looking at how that term friends means a little bit more to us than just, you know, acquaintance, than someone that we know, someone that we are, we enjoy talking to. Within the confines of the church, friends are family, and, and we're going to be looking at that this morning. Well, before I, I open up, let's uh, begin with a word of prayer, and then we'll, we'll dive right in. God, as we study your word, as we see the relationship that we have with you, that we have with our other fellow believers because of you, the relationship that we're meant to pour out onto the world because of the love we have. God, I, I pray that we are impacted by this, that we desire to exemplify the same love that you have for us that we love one another, that we love even those who are against us. God, this morning, open our hearts and minds as we study your word. Let it move and impact and empower us in so many ways. Speak through me this morning, God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I know with it being the Thanksgiving season that we just all had a lot of meals and ate a lot of food and Probably put on a few pounds, you know. I, I read somewhere, I cannot remember the exact number, but Thanksgiving Day, the amount of calories consumed on average by Americans is, is somewhere close to like 10,000 calories. It, it's some like obscene number. It might not be 10,000, but it's a, I saw it and I was like, whoa, that's a lot of calories on average. Um, and, and probably because you end up going to like three meals in one day, you're just eating all day long. And, um, but you've, we've all had quite a few meals, probably, and we, we had many of them with family. But there's this new trend now. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Maybe you, on your Facebook page, saw someone that posted pictures of a hashtag Friendsgiving. And maybe you don't know what a hashtag is, but that's that. It looks like the number, it used to be the number sign. Now it means hashtag. And, and, and there's uh, this trend going along, around now called Friendsgiving. And it actually, it started with this popular show from the, the 90s um, called Friends, uh, <laughs> ironically enough. Um, and in the show, the, there was these characters that were all real close to one another. And the first Thanksgiving that, of the show... They all had plans to go every which way to be with their families for the holiday, and none of it worked out. And they ended up just having this, this meal together with Funyuns and, and just random stuff, and, and they did it every year from there on out throughout the show. And, and now, 
that is something that's, all, that's worked its way into culture. You, you see that all the time, that, that there are Friendsgivings spurting up all, all over the place. Isabella had some with, with her women's Bible study that, that she's in, that young adult women's Bible study, and, and she took two rotisserie chickens, and, and they all just brought a bunch of stuff to it. And it's something that happens all the time now. And we, we, it's, it's funny because it used to be that the family structure was so foundational that it was the most important aspect. You didn't leave where you grew up because that's where your family were. You, you, you always put family before anything else. And now it's kind of shifted a little bit. And, and maybe it's because at family meals there's arguments or, or there's tension sometimes or there's expectations you feel you're supposed to live up to. But there's this trend that's changing where it almost is like you feel more comfortable with friends than you do with family. That you express your love more easily to friends than you do to family. And part of me hurts because of that. Because I want that sort of love expressed in the family. That sort of devotion expressed within the family. But on another side of it, that sort of example that we see with this Friendsgiving trend is actually kind of what Christ desired to happen within the church. That the church was meant to be more than just a bunch of acquaintances coming together and saying, I believe that Jesus was the Messiah. It's people that say, because I believe Jesus is the Messiah and his spirit is within me, everyone else that believes that is now my family. And even though we might not share physical DNA, we share the same spirit. And that changes everything. And truthfully, the, the church is more like a gathering of Friendsgiving than it is like a gathering of a family Thanksgiving. Because we're more than just a bunch of like-minded individuals. We're more than just a bunch of friends. There's this deeper connection within us. And so what we'll be addressing this morning is, is what is the church meant to be to each other? How, how are we meant to, based on who we are, based on what's within us, how are we meant to interact with one another? What are we supposed to regard each other as? How do we take that to the people outside of our gathering? Well, we're going to be looking first at, at, we're going to be jumping around quite a bit, we're going to be looking first at this passage in Matthew. And this passage in Matthew has always struck me. Um, Jesus has been going around teaching. He's been traveling with his disciples. He's been traveling with his followers. You know, I, I think, I, I love, if you've watched the Chosen TV show, the depiction that you get in that show, where Jesus is making this close relationship with this ragtag group of people. You see him in that show bantering all the time, bickering like, like brothers and sisters, and, and, and they're growing close together. Through all this. And, and that's what would have taken place in Jesus' ministry. This is three years where they spent almost all of their time together. You're going to get annoyed with each other. But you're going to grow in a profound love for one another as well. And that's what's taking place as they're serving, as they're ministering, as Jesus is teaching, as they're listening to Jesus, as they're witnessing his miracles that he's performing. And then this takes place likely his ministry as he's gained all of this close-knit relationship with his disciples. In chapter 12 of Matthew, starting in verse 46, it says, While he was 
still speaking with the crowds, his mother and his brothers were standing outside and wanted to speak to him. Someone told him, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to the one speaking to him, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Forever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So from Jesus himself, we get this depiction of what it means to be family in Christ. This, this reversal of family isn't simply flesh and blood, but it's the spiritual unifying factor that is happening within those who follow Christ. Here, these people here that I've done life with, these people here who are going alongside me, these people here who want to get to know the Father in heaven, these are the people who are my brothers and my sisters. And you know, the, the word in, in the scripture that denotes friendship, the Hebrew word and the Greek word, it's not that strong of a word. And in English, we, we tend to have one word and, and use it in a multiplicity of ways. Um, where your friend can insinuate a close acquaintance or it can insinuate a really close person that you share everything with. And in the Greek and Hebrew language, it really just kind of means neighbor. Someone that you're, you know. Some, someone that you are you know, willing to go ask for a, a, a gallon of milk from. You know? someone, someone that you know, but you're not going to go to them when you're in a real spiritual struggle. That, that's what friend within scripture Denotes, and, and there are cases where it denotes something more, but it's going to be specific in that. It's going to have a qualifier that goes alongside that word. And in, in this instance here, Jesus is referring to his friends, these people that he spent three years with. But he doesn't just call them friends. They're not just his neighbors. They're not just people that work for him. They're, you know, many people on the outside looking in would think that his disciples were his apprentices or his students. But to Jesus, they were his family. The word that he uses here is, is the word adolphos. It's the word for brother. The plural, adolphoi, is translated brothers and sisters. And that is a much more powerful word than what would denote friends. Jesus is saying they're, they're not just, you know, we know each other. No, we are close with one another. The family system within the, the ancient world meant everything. You followed in your father's occupation. You managed your father's and mother's household as they got older. You resided close to them. You didn't them. It was rare to leave. Everything that your family did, you were a part of. And now Jesus is taking that depiction of family and he's applying it to people that follow him. And Jesus isn't the only one that do does this. Paul does this as well. In all of his letters, you see all throughout his letters, he, he says, this brother or this sister, in referencing to a fellow believer. It's why we, we do it today. 
You know, I, um, you hear Steve all the time saying Brother Wendor or Brother Garrett or, or Brother Terry. He, he's, he does that all the time. And that's something that we have traditionally growing up in this, the church. We recognize each other with that term. But I don't even think we use that term in the same way that it was emphatically used here. Listen to what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians at the beginning of his letter. He says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. He predestined us to be adopted as sons. What religion anywhere says that through the founder of their religion, you become brothers, you become sons and daughters, you become family. In any religion anywhere, it's just do this, make sure you sing a few songs and, and worship this God of all things or gods of all things. But in our faith, we are known by the love we have for one another. It's not the love of a friendship. It's not the, the, the camaraderie of... I'm brave enough to, to go over to knock on your door in the morning and ask for a glass of milk so I can have my coffee. It's, we are so close to one another that I hold you as my brother. I hold you as my sister. I hold you as if you were related to me by blood. The church is a spiritually bonded community. It's, it's more than just a friendship. It is emphatically a family. And the language that we see throughout all the epistles, the language we see through Jesus, shows us as much. If we only regard ourselves as people that we attend a church building with, oh, I see them once every once in a while on Sunday, or, or you know, I, I, I go to church with that person. That's the kind of language we're starting to use now within the church. Whereas what Paul is using, what Jesus using is, I don't just go to church with that person. I'm in family with that person. That person is my brother. That person is my sister. That person shares the same spiritual blood and bond with me that I do with Christ. That's significant. And so, you know, the title of this message might be friends and families, but what I'm trying to show is that the friendships that we have within the church aren't friendships per se. It's a brotherhood. And, and that's a word that Paul uses in, in 1 Corinthians 10 through 17. And he uses this all, he uses quite a bit throughout all of his letters, but in, in the first passage of, or in, in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, he's talking to the people at Corinth. And and, and like we've said last week, the people at Corinth were a Hellenistic, a Greco-Roman society. There was always kind of this, within Greco-Roman world, there was a lot of, it was, do you worship this God? Do you worship this God? Do you follow this school of thought? Do you follow this school of thought? It, that, 
Hellenistic society brought a lot of natural division within it. And as Paul is addressing here to the church in Corinth, that natural division has kind of seeped its way into the body of believers there. And he says in verse 10, Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, that some of your translations might just say brothers, but, but he uses the plural word he's emphasizing everyone that belongs to Christ brothers sisters mothers father all of you who share that same spiritual bond in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all agree in what you say that there be no divisions among you that you are united with the same understanding and the same conviction it's been reported to me about you my brothers and sisters by members of Chloe's people that there's rivalry among you what I'm saying is this what I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in Paul's name? I, I thank God that I baptized none of you except for Crispus and Gaius, so that none of you can say you were baptized in my name. I did, in fact, baptize the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, I don't recall if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ will not be emptied of its effect. Now, what Paul is saying in this discourse, there's a lot to unpack there. But, but the whole crux of what he is saying here is, you are brothers. You are sisters. You are a family. You are a, a another word that he uses is the, it's the word aphletate, is derived from that word brother. You're a brotherhood. You share the same bond. Another, it is a spiritual unity. And out of the spiritual unity, you're not to have divisions. Okay, there's people that are saying, well, Apollos came after Paul, and I really liked his teaching, so I'm going to follow Apollos' teaching. Or no, Paul came first, so I'm going to stick with, with Paul. No, but but I've, I've heard other talk about Christ, and Christ had a lot of great teaching too. I'm going to follow Christ. No, you're not bonded by anything but Christ. Without Christ, we wouldn't have been coming to you. Without Christ, there's nothing that we share. We're people from all sorts of different, different backgrounds all over the world. There's Jews, there's Gentiles, there's slaves, there's free men, there's, there's women, there's children. We're all different, but we share this one unity, a singular unity that binds us as one family, and that is Christ. And he, he said, I'm thankful well, I wasn't the one that baptized any of you, because if that would have caused more divisions. Saying, no, none of you are baptized by human hands, but by the Spirit of God. And without that Spirit, there is no unity. But because of that Spirit, the brotherhood of believers is united solely in Christ. And that's significant. Because when you share a commonality with people, it changes everything about that relationship, about that dynamic. I had this group of friends in, in high school, and, and I was really close with my friend Eli. My brother was really close to his friend Trevor, and, and they came by here periodically. And there was other people that we were close with, and, and we all played different sports. And, and so we were friends in that regard, but we just up childhood friends but then for some reason 
I will never understand. None of us had any real spirit, uh, musical giftedness. And we decided we're going to start a band. I mean, it, not a single one of us knew. I, I had played an instrument when I was like eight years old. And, and now we're 15, 16 years old. Not, not a single one of us was trained enough to pick up an instrument. But we said, we're going to start a band. We're going to start a worship band. And I, I am convinced that it was that band that where we decided we're going to join together in this one thing that I've developed relationships with those guys that I might see them once a year, but I'm as close to them as I ever would be if I never saw them. Because of that one unifying decision that we made. Now imagine, you know, that a band that was quite frankly, pretty terrible. But imagine that on the scale of spiritual unity. We're bonded together by this, this glue that is the God of the universe. That bond should be unbreakable. That bond is stronger than, than flesh and blood, than DNA. That that. Is the spiritual essence of God. And, and, and Paul is making this very clear to, to these Corinthians that, that grew up having divisions, that grew up emphasizing differences. He's saying, no, you, you guys are united. In, in, his, in another letter to, to Galatians, he says, there's no longer slave, there's no longer free, there's no longer man. Because we all belong to Christ. Easy for us to point out differences because the world tells us to point out differences. But what Paul is saying is, you know, the church, you might just surface as friends or acquaintances, but you're a brotherhood. You're a family. You're a friendship Let that sink in. It's not just, well, I just, man, I, I just got to see that guy once a week and I'm okay. No, it's, we're going to be <laughs> seeing each other and communing together and, and having this friends giving for all of eternity. Because the we share is the eternal spirit of God. Now, what I want to move into is what do we do with that love? See, that, that, that love we have for one another is birthed out of the unity that we have in Christ. And, and so it's easy for us to say, I'm going to love my brother or sister in Christ. I'm going to love this person that I share commonality with. That's easy to do, right? It, it's, it's easy to get along with the on your basketball team. It's, it's more difficult to get along with the teammates on the rival of your basketball team. Because that's not necessarily required of you. You're, you're, you're not going to get forced to like and get along and show love to your rival. But that's not necessarily what Jesus tells us. In his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, in the middle of all this, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. 
and to hate. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I love the familial language that he uses. He says, because you are God's children, because you are brothers and sisters. You know, what's it to you if you just love each other in your family? What's it to you if you just love other members, other, other people that share this same unifying bond? No, you're supposed to love the enemies. You're supposed to pray for the people that are harming you. You're supposed to pray for the people that are persecuting you, that are ridiculing you, that are making your life difficult. Now, that's a hard command. I mean, that, that's, that's God saying, did, did, that, did that person belittle you at, at, your, at your job? Did, did that person put you down so they could elevate themselves? Well, go ahead and, and show them love. And the rest of the world is saying, no, you deserve to do back to them what they did to you. Because that makes sense, right? In a second, we're going to look at another passage where Jesus changes an eye for an eye. But that's how we live by, right? An eye for an eye. If, if someone does something to you, you do it back to them. And Jesus is saying, no, you love them. Why do you love them? Because you're my children. Because you're God's children. Because you share my spirit. And well, quite frankly... I loved you, and you were my enemies, but I showed you love, and because you now share in this unifying bond that makes you brothers, and you now love one another in this brotherhood, you need to go a step further and love those that are outside of it, and love those who might even persecute you. Our love isn't limited to the brotherhood. It's extended to our enemies. If anything, the love that we have for one another should be overflowing so much so that it's, it's just natural for us to, to give it off even to Isabella, when she was trying to get us to, to get a dog, she, her argument was, we love, so, we love each other so much, we have to have something else to love too. We gotta like we gotta let our love pour out on something else, and that was her argument for us getting a dog. And at at that time, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. <laughs> sure enough, <laughs> boy, do I love that dog. <laughs> our love for one another, our love for God, should be so overflowing, even though the world tells. Means it's just natural to love them. Because that's the type of love that Christ had for us. And I want to kind of end on this passage that exemplifies that type of love. And, and the passage before what I just read in verses 38 through 42, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye 
and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you with your right cheek, turn the other to him also. For the one who wants to sue you and take your shirt away, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give the one, give to the one who asks you, and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. This kind of applies to that same love your enemies text. Jesus, what does it mean to love these people? It means when they do stuff to you, turn the other cheek. And I remember when I read this when I was little, and I thought, man, I can't wait for someone to slap me in the face so I can just go. That's how you show what God is talking about. It's easy to read into a literal physically turn your cheek. He's saying people are going to wrong you in this life. People are going to belittle you. People are going to steal from you. People are going to hurt you. But if you're in me, if my spirit engulfs you, that spirit doesn't want to harm. That spirit wants to extend love. And we, we might say, well, okay, how do we know? What, 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 why wouldn't it be okay for us to just you know, up? In fact, you know, the Pharisees coming with Jesus, well, Moses says eye for an eye. Jesus in the, the chosen, I love Jesus' response in that, where he's talking to the little kids, and, and he's talking about turning the other cheek to them. And, and the kid says, well, the law of Moses says eye for an And Jesus, well, the law of Moses is for a judge. But I'm telling you about the character and nature of God. About what it means to receive love, to show love. And, and this passage here, this excerpt, this excerpt this, these four verses here, that is the epitome of what took place on the cross. So we say, well, Jesus, why, why Turn the other cheek. It was our sin, it was our evil, it was our wrongdoing that put him on that tree. And, and if he didn't live by turn the other cheek, if he didn't live by love your enemies, what could we have done? What did we deserve to have do to us because we put him on that cross? We deserve the full wrath and condemnation and vengeance of God. We just killed his son. We just hung his son for doing no wrong. We deserve to have all of his wrath and anger poured out on us, but what happened instead? Jesus turned the other cheek. And all of that wrath and vengeance and anger was poured out on him. So not only we pour out our sin on Jesus, but then he turned his cheek. And out of his love that he had for us, God poured we deserved on him. And so how can we ever say, well, Jesus, turning your cheek is hard. It's hard to love your enemies. I don't want to do that. Imagine if Jesus said, well, I didn't want to take on all the condemnation of a sinful humanity, but here we are. 
did that because I loved you. I loved you before you loved me. I loved you when you were still my enemy. I loved you when it was you putting me on that cross. I loved you when all of the sin of the world went on to me and I took all of that you deserve to have. So how can we not love our enemies? Well, that's what that type of love is what brings us together. It's the love that Jesus expressed to us on the cross. That sort of love that brought his spirit out and that spirit now unifies us. That same spirit that turned on the cross is the same spirit that resides and binds and unifies the brotherhood of believers that is the church. So with that spirit uniting us together, it is our gift to love one another as a family. And that as that love pours out and bubbles over, we just extend that love naturally to anyone no matter what you do to us. And when we think to ourselves, this is hard, why do I have to do this? We focus on the cross and we remember, well, that was what was done for us. And if you haven't made that connection that on the cross, Jesus took on all of our sin and then received all of our punishment, that he literally turned the other cheek. If you haven't accepted if you haven't reaped what came of that, I urge you to do so. Because it's receiving his spirit as a result of turning that other cheek that makes us now the family of God, the family of believers. And I want everyone to become a part of that family. And if you're a part of that family, if, if you have that spirit within you, if you're unified by that spirit, remember that it's our calling to love one another, to call one another brothers and sisters, to see each, each other as this spiritual family, and to even to a world that was hostile. The world was hostile to the Savior of the world. Let's close in, in prayer this morning. Father God, thank you for the love you showed us. A love that doesn't make sense. God, the whole world, the, all of history, but you showed us what it means. God, out of that love that you showed us on the cross, let us love one another in this church. Remind us that we are family that we hold within us the same spirit and that spirit that binds us as one family, that we are to love one another fully and help us to extend love to the enemies that we might have in the same way that you extended love to us when we were your enemies. And for anyone in here, God, that, that desires to become part of this family, that desires to accept that love, you are offering that grace, that forgiveness that you poured out. I pray that they step forward, that their heart moves, and that they're excited to become a part of your family.
We love you, God. It's in your son's name we pray.